Can uncovering the history of redlining help build a better future? One city in Nebraska is trying to find out. Redlining, it's a policy that allows banks and other institutions to line off, quote unquote, parts of a community where investments and loans are not approved due to the demographics of the area. By demographics, of course, we're talking about gatekeeping and class and race. The practice of redlining is considered controversial and outright discriminatory. It was a key element of the 2014 essay, The Case for Reparations by ta Coates for the Atlantic Magazine. But nevertheless, it's been around for more than 90 years. Hello, I'm Chris Lay, the podcast operations manager for Lee Enterprises. In this episode of Behind the Headlines, our host, Terry Barr, is talking with Margaret Reist, the city government reporter with the Journal Star in Lincoln, Nebraska. A recent article by Margaret revealed redlining's problems and results after all these years. But also, it revealed ways that leaders in Lincoln are attempting to use this history and information to create a better future. It's something that Margaret hopes can be an example for other communities. We'll have links to Margaret's articles in the show notes, so make sure that you check those out there. And now, here's Terry Barr with Margaret Reist. Thank you, Chris, and I'm so pleased to have Margaret here with me. Now, Margaret, I, I got to talk about this deep dive into the idea of redlining. Now, I found a description where it says it's actually a discriminatory practice of lining off areas where the banks have no interest in investing due to the demographics. Now, does that sort of feel like the description you've been dealing with? Right. Redlining happened back in the well, it was part of the New Deal, actually, and it was an attempt by the administration to help homeowners sort of recover, you know, and for more middle class people to buy homes. So what they did was they worked with lenders and bankers in cities all over the country and created these maps. But well, what they ended up being was maps that said, well, here are the good areas of town to to provide loan home loans for people and here are the bad and so they you know there were different the different colors so these maps were sort of color coded and the declining and redlining areas were largely where blacks lived or minorities lived and also the poorest parts of town and so the result of that was that people who lived in those areas or essentially African-Americans or other minorities couldn't get loans often. And they wouldn't, they, if you wanted to buy a house in that part of town, you, they wouldn't, they wouldn't often wouldn't give the bankers wouldn't provide loans because it was a, it was a redlined area. That's how the phrase redlining came about. Wow. And, um, you know, there's been a lot of research on it. And um, what really struck, what really struck me is that the city here, um, when they were updating their comprehensive plan, addressed redlining. And there's a section in the plan about the redlining that occurred in Lincoln and the effects of that still all these years later. And I was struck that this sort of wonky document addressed this really important issue and did so at a time when so much of the national conversation 
centered around critical race theory and sort of the idea of not teaching that history to children. And so here's this city organization that's addressing this issue, which to me is part of what critical race theory is talking about, you know, how, mm-hmm. how the institutions have discriminated and how that still continues. So I, I found that interesting. That's what kind of got me started. Ah, you know, when we're talking uh, about this happening across the whole country as part of that new deal, you are the uh, city government reporter with Lincoln Journal Stars. So we're talking now more specifically about the Lincoln area. Right. How difficult was it for you to actually be able to get what you needed to look at to do this story? Um, actually, it, it wasn't very hard because the city had done some of its own research. And there's a man who lives here named Ed Zimmer, who was a historic preservation planner for the city, but he is probably the most knowledgeable person about Lincoln history around, one of the most knowledgeable people about Lincoln history around. And so I think the city had worked with him. And so I was able to call him and the city, I asked the city for some of the, um, the demographics today and how those aligned with 50, 60 years ago. And was they were very willing to give me that information. It was actually, and because of Ed Zimmer, I mean, he's such a treasure trove of information. And so he was the one who was able to tell me how redlining was actually before redlining, it codified practices that had been going on in Lincoln for many years before that. And there were, there's neighborhoods here, like the Sheridan neighborhood is an, an old, sort of the old Lincoln money, you know, it's an affluent neighborhood. Well, they had covenants where Black people couldn't live, they couldn't own homes in that part of town. And there were other neighborhoods in Lincoln where that was the case. And of course, that isn't the case today, but the effects of that remain, you know. So I found that interesting. And I was struck by, I was struck by like the, some of the home ownership statistics, you know, it's in my story and I can't remember now, but it, I mean, just like the percentage of white Lincolnites who own their homes as opposed to people of color is a pretty dramatic difference, you know, and you're talking about 23% of people of color own their homes as opposed to, I don't know, 60 some percent. That's he, what a huge difference. Yeah. Well, and you know, you have to think that that's, that goes back to this time. So and, and are those current statistics too? And yeah, did, did are, that surprise you? Yeah, that did surprise me. That was interesting to me. Yeah. Wow. You know, then you start looking at that and, and the realization of these neighborhoods is, you know, yes, it's the poverty, the health disparities. I, I think in one part of your story, I even read something about, you know, because we were going through the pandemic continuing to go through the pandemic, but in these neighborhoods, all of these things were happening in bigger ways because it is a minority community. What really kind of jumped out with all of the things you looked at um, that made you kind of sit back as a reporter and go, oh, I, I, I need to cover this story. Yeah, I think that the, um, I think the maps that today that show where the largest pockets of poverty hmm. and where there, there are still areas of town where more minorities live. That's changed some since 
a half a century ago, but still exists. But to sort of overlay those maps, the redlining maps with today's demographics, housing demographics, where people live in Lincoln was pretty striking to me. Yeah. That's why I found it so interesting that the city felt compelled to include this section about redlining in the comprehensive plan. You know, I thought, I thought that was very interesting. Yeah, no kidding. Particularly given, like I said, that the, the, the national discussion and sort of the pushback against things like critical race theory, which has become a, you know, a sort of banner issue, misunderstood Mm -hmm. banner issue, I think for, um, a lot of conservative politicians. So I found that very interesting. And I, and I know a number of people who have lived here for many years, you know, I've, I've been doing this a long time. And so I know a lot of people in the community. And um, so it was really interesting to sort of be able to, I wanted to talk to them about what their experiences were. What did they share? Well, um, pretty much what, what I expected. There were several people I talked to who had, you know, they came to Lincoln and they were, most of them were able to buy homes, but they bought homes in a particular part of town. And they, I I heard a lot of several stories about people, you know, like when they first came to Lincoln, trying to rent an apartment and not being able to rent an apartment. And Albert Maxey, who was a police officer here for many years, and he came here in 57 on a basketball scholarship. He was on the Hoosier team, the first Hoosier team in Indiana that won um, the first black basketball team to win a state championship. So he came here to play basketball in college and went on then and brought his wife here and his young family. Well, not sure if he had kids before he moved here, but anyway, he, they came here and he talks about going to, you know, trying to find a place to rent close to the university, an apartment close to the university and having no luck. And finally there was a guy out tending the yard in front of a house that he was renting. And it said, there was a sign, I think that said for rent. And he asked if he could, you know, if he had a room for him and he, he let, he allowed him to rent, but not before, checking with the other tenants to make sure it was okay. Oh my you know, gosh. it was just a very different world. And there were a number of people who have lived in this community for many years. You know, Albert now, he was a, he's retired and his wife has died, but there was actually an elementary school named after his wife because she was on the school board. So, you know, these are people who have become really important um, members of the community, but yeah. had to live through this. Another Another man who's no longer living, but he was a Tuskegee, one of the Tuskegee Airmen. Oh my and gosh. And he came, he came to Lincoln to live. And because of his involvement in the military, had the money to buy a home in, oh, it was a part of town where not a lot of minorities lived. And he couldn't get a loan. You know, now there's a school named after him, but you know, he came here and couldn't find couldn't buy the home he wanted to buy because of the color of his skin, you know. Wow. And just tracing the path, you're talking about the importance of these people in the community, what they went through, and how some of this continues today. Now, in your report, 
after it was uh, published and everybody could take a look at it, what was the response, first of all, from the readers and then from city officials? Pretty positive. I mean, I heard from a lot of people in the community. I didn't hear back from city officials too much, but nothing negative, you know, but they had taken the time to do this. So I don't think it was controversial to them. And I heard, I really only heard positive comments from people saying, thank you for highlighting this part of our history, which, you know, still exists. And, and one of the things I asked city officials was, why did you do this? And what does it mean for the comprehensive plan? And, you know, really their response was, you have to, you have to understand the past to move forward as you move forward and to make the city a better place to live. And so they have, they're very focused in this plan on creating what's called complete neighborhoods. Ah. So that's a lot of mixed use housing. And it also means having, you know, services that you need schools, parks, grocery stores within like 15 minutes, you know, it's a, it's a city planning thing, (laughs) but it's been interesting to me to watch this because their attempts to do this to create mixed housing means, you know, having affordable housing with more affluent housing. It means having apartment complexes where there's single family homes. And there's been some pushback on that. I mean, there are some fairly affluent, new affluent neighborhoods. And part of the development plan is to build large apartment complexes. And the homeowners there are like, no, thank you. I don't want to, you know, I don't want a 500 unit apartment across from this, you know, right. 500,000 apart, you know, the retirement home I just bought, you know, so it's been interesting to me to sort of watch them try to implement it. It's like, it's, it's not always easy, but, um, but it's been very interesting. Part of this is I, it, I and I mentioned this in the story, my family, my husband is Japanese American. And he and his, his parents grew up in Hawaii. His grandparents immigrated from Japan and he, his parents grew up in Hawaii. And his father came to Lincoln in the 60s to, be, to work at the university. He had a doctorate in, in social work. And so he came to the university and they couldn't buy a home. They, when they first moved here, they, they, would, they tried to buy a home and they wouldn't sell to them because of their ethnicity. And that's always struck me because, you know, that's within my lifetime. Yeah. And you think things like that don't, and they don't happen now. They eventually were able to buy a house and it's where my husband grew up and, but it happened. And I know it happened because it happened to my in-laws. Yeah. <laughs> so I thought it, that was interesting. A very yeah. real story right yeah. there. Yeah. So Margaret, what would you say is, is going to happen next? How, how do you keep following the story And how long before maybe something does really, really change? Well, I mean, I think it has changed. I mean, you know, I don't think people have a problem of any ethnicity buying homes anywhere in Lincoln now. You know, I don't, you, you can get a home loan, I believe. But I think, I think it's just important to understand that past and understand how it still influences housing patterns in the city. And it should, I hope, inform city officials as they try to create 
these mixed neighborhoods and 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 approach housing issues in a way um, that makes it more equitable not only for people of color but for people low income people you know access to housing and that kind of thing and so I I think that's really important and I I also thought it was really important to talk about this because I keep going back to critical race theory but you know that just that idea that that you have to understand history and this is part of our history and it doesn't mean it doesn't mean that because I'm white it's bad but I think it's important to understand because it helps us understand our privilege and it helps us understand where we are today going forward and how we can make this a better city and so um you know in terms of how I follow up on that I think it would be interesting to wait a few years and see how it's changed, you know, see what if any, if this had any impact. It's a slow process, but yeah, it was very interesting to talk to people who, Black people who have lived in this community for many, many years and how, how things were when they grew up, you know, Albert Maxey, the police officer talks about, you know, he actually first lived in another part of, of Lincoln that was it was a low, wasn't low income, but it was a lot of, it wasn't, it was largely white, I think. He and maybe one other black family lived in that area. And he talks about how when his daughter came home singing a nursery rhyme that she was singing with the other kids and there was a racial slur in it, he thought, Mm-mm, we're, le- you know, I don't, wow. we don't need this. So he yeah. moved actually to another part of Lincoln that was primarily black families. And those, I've always been fascinated by that because I think that those communities were very tight knit communities. You know, the people who who grew up there, they all knew each other, they supported each other. You know, they were very tight knit communities, which I've always just thought was kind of cool. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. just their their relationships and their support of each other. And many of those people have become are very important figures in the in the community today. Well, Margaret, I, I thank you for your important work on what we're seeing with, with redlining in the past and the changes for the future. And I'll look forward to your next report on it as well. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much. And again, this is Margaret Reist, city government reporter with the Lincoln Journal Star. Margaret, thank you so much. Thank you, I appreciate it. That was Terry Barr with Margaret Reist, a reporter for the Journal Star in Lincoln, Nebraska. Margaret's going to continue to cover what city officials in Lincoln are doing to create change and will be working on follow-up stories. You can find links to her articles and information about the efforts to end the practice in other communities in the show notes. If you appreciate what we're doing with this program, we encourage you to invest in local journalism and support whichever newspaper it is that serves your community. I'm Chris Lay, and for myself and Terry Barr, thank you so much for listening to our Behind the Headlines podcast from Lee Enterprises.